Amen. Thank you so very much. Well, good morning. Hey, welcome back to beautiful Watertown. You know, when you left, it was nice and warm, and now it's nice and white and beautiful, and we're glad that you're back. By the way, as one of the pastors in the area, I want to say thank you. We love you guys, and we are so thankful. It's always pretty disappointing when you take off, but we realize you need to go home for a day or two, but we are always thankful when you're here, and uh, we just love having you as part of our churches, and we love being able to fellowship together and worship together. And so thank you so very, very much for your wonderful spirit. Take your Bible, please, and find the book of the Revelation. Revelation in chapter number uh, 2, please. Revelation in chapter number 2. As they played holy, 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 I realized, and you realized, that God is worthy of our passionate love. He really is. He's worthy of our passionate love. Revelation chapter 2, we begin with verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars." and is born, and has patience, and for my namesake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We read this passage of scripture. We can almost picture the Apostle John. As God is directing him what to write to these churches, he's letting them know that God is worthy of my passionate love, and God is worthy of your passionate love. The seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 are actual congregations, just like the congregations that we all belong to. Now, they serve as examples to all of the churches. Now, Ephesus, was a, it was a large metropolitan uh, city, the most prominent city, really, in the Roman province of Asia, what we now know as Turkey, and some of you have been there. Uh, my son-in-law's been there several times, and it was... It was a place of a lot of commerce that took place. It's kind of like four major routes came through Ephesus. It was known as the gateway to Asia. There was this temple to the goddess Diana, known as one of the seven wonders of the world. The church at Ephesus had been founded by the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. You read about that in Acts chapters 18, 19, and 20. Paul spent three years at this church at Ephesus, and then most of us believe that when Paul left, Timothy became the pastor. We know that also Tychicus and the Apostle John, they ministered there as well. We understand that Demetrius, we know about him, he's the silversmith in that committee, in that community, I should say, he became so upset over all that Paul was doing that he did all he could to stop the gospel from being spread in that particular city. 
And so we read this passage of Scripture, and we kind of open the Bible like a mirror to ourselves. And if I can just try to be a little bit of a help to all of us today, because we want to be passionate in our life and in our love and in our service for Christ. I think that's probably true of every one of us here. We, we want that. We, we want to love God. We want to serve God. That passion, that's kind of that, that strong feeling. Sometimes we might use the word enthusiasm or, or zeal. We want to keep that main thing the main thing. The Bible says whether we eat or drink or, or whatsoever we do, we want to do that to, to glorify God. And so when we come to this passage of Scripture, there's some insights that students, I think, can be very helpful to us at this point in the semester. First of all, God, as he speaks through the Apostle John, he gives to these folks a commendation. He says, I, I see your labor. I mean, you're working hard. You're toiling. In fact, it's actually the idea to the point of exhaustion. In labor, it, it costs them something. Somebody once said in most churches there's three types of people. There are the workers, there are the shirkers, and there are the jerkers. All right? And so he says, I, I know you. I, I know your, your labor. No aspect of service is, is too small. God knows exactly what you do. And he takes note of that. In fact, the Bible says, Whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water... Only in the name of a disciple, I say unto you, he shall no wise lose his reward. And so he commends them. He says, you're hard workers. I understand that. He commends them because they were a separated church in verses 2 and 3. How thou canst not bear them which are evil. He says, you look and you see people that are doing what's wrong and you stay away from them. You separate in Romans chapter 16, he's, the Bible says, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. And Paul wrote to the church and the believers at Corinth, he said, What concord or what unity, what sympathy hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Wealth wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. And so he says, Listen, I've been watching you. You work hard, you're separated. He says in verse 2, you're a pure church. How thou hast tried them which say they're the apostles. And so here's a church that exercised some spiritual discernment. They would evaluate. They, they would look at the spiritual leadership. They would look at their doctrine. They would look at their behavior. The Bible tells us in the book of Thessalonians, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. In 2 John, he tells us many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And so as he's looking and writing to these folks, he's giving them some commendation. And you know, students, we could do the same thing for most of you. We could look at you and say, you're good hard workers. You want to say no to sin, and you want to say yes to God. You, you want to be pure. You want to do what's right. You want to stay for God. He tells us in verse 3 that they're, they're an enduring church. You has, thou hast born and has had patience. They've endured under a lot of trials. 
Some of you have been under some tremendous trials. For over 40 years, this church had remained faithful to the Lord. Their patience through difficulty, through persecution, and they didn't give up. And so he's commending them. He tells us in verse number three that they're a motivated church. He says, you're doing this for the sake of Christ, for my name's sake. And these folks were always concerned about the name and the reputation of Christ. And I commend you. I commend you because I know, having lived here in Watertown for a long time, that people watch you. And they want to see how you act and how you live. And a number of those folks have commented to me, whether it be the mayor, whether it be some of the business people in town, whether it be some of our police officers, uh, whether it be some of the folks who run some of the various radio and television areas around here. And they watched you and they said, you know what? They're concerned about the name of Christ. And so there's a commendation for this. Verse 6 tells us they're an autonomous church, that they, they stay away from the Nicolaitans. These are the people who want to literally, uh, you know, kind of, they're, they're, they're clergy, kind of want to run everything and dominate everything. In fact, we know from history that they were involved in, in a lot of immorality and, and sensual indulgences. And so he says, I, I commend you. The psalmist tells us, I'm a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts in Psalm 119. And so we look at our own lives and we say, wow, this is great. And it's almost as now the Apostle John, the beloved of the Lord, you can almost picture him as he's writing what God has him to write to this church at Ephesus. His heart is there. And I don't know, almost as though a tear comes to his eye as he writes the next phrase. Nevertheless, He says, I commend you, but not only do I commend you, but now I have a condemnation. Thou hast left thy first love. Literally, the phrase is, you have walked away from your first love. That agape love, that self-sacrificing giving of yourself in order to meet the needs of God. Say, well, God doesn't have any needs, but do you love him with that self-sacrificing love? Remember, Jesus said, if a man love me, he'll keep my words. He said, if a man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, accursed. And though they had not departed completely from their love for God, their love no longer had that fervency, no longer had that depth no longer had that meaning that it once had. And that their defect was, was really, it was a matter of the heart rather than just the head or the will. That idea that their love for God had grown cold. How about it, student? Has your love for God grown cold? Have you lost your heart for God? You've got doctrine. You've got moral purity. You've got discipline. You've got service. But what about that passionate love for God? What about that love that just sort of enveloped you? 
You know, Paul had written to this church many years earlier, and he said this, After I also heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all saints, I cease not to give thanks to you. He commented them about 30 years earlier because the church was characterized by an evangelization. They had a desire to share the gospel. They were characterized by people who had a devotion to Christ. They were characterized by their reading and studying the word of God. They were characterized by their their passion of prayer and their love and their fellowship with God's people. And it was was such a fervor that they had for God. They kind of walked away from that. You know, a lot of us are second and third generation Christians. Our forebears had this experience with God. The next generation had an inheritance. Our parents, it became a convenience. And for us, it's become a nuisance. That, That fervor and that passion for God, for who he is, for what he's done, what happened was a cooling of spiritual love. It was kind of like a metamorphosis from hungry, passionate Christian basking in the glory of the Christian life. It just kind of went away. And when I sat in this room as well as a college student, I heard over and over again speakers come, and they would often make this comment, guard your heart while you're in college because it's an easy place to grow cold. What happens is that gleam that consumed our vision has been displaced by a lot of other good things. We get a little Bible knowledge. We develop some Christian friends. We get to go to a friendly church. We might even have a spiritual victory here or there. But then we begin to shift, begin to shift from studying the Bible to know Jesus to studying the Bible to pass a test. We become comfortable, and church becomes more of a social event. It doesn't take long for our passion to go from a passion for Christ to just the busy work that's involved in Christianity. And that intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus is so involved in activity that we we lose the passion for Christ himself. And we never ask ourselves, why do I do the things that I do? Who am I doing them for? Am I doing them for myself? Am I doing them for the Lord? And our love for God becomes replaced with love for a lot of other good things. 1 Timothy 6, chapter chapter 6 and verse 10 says, it can be replaced with a love for money. 
1 John 2 says it can be replaced with a love for things. 1 John 5 tells us it can be replaced with a love of idols. Or Matthew tells us it can be replaced with a love for family. And that departure from the faith and the loss of effective testimony, it begins to go away. The Apostle John, when he wrote in 1 John, he said, we love him, Christ, because he first loved us. And so this morning, there's a commendation to to all of you. We watch you, we observe you, we listen to you, both in our churches, in our homes, here on campus, and throughout the community of Watertown. But I hope there's not a condemnation. But you've got to answer that in your own heart. Do I have the passionate love for Christ today that I had when I first came to campus? Do I have the passionate love for Christ today that I had when I first came to Christ as my Savior? We get on in verse 5, he gives us the correction. He says, let's remember. Let's go back to that place of departure. Let's go back to our story, go back to our testimony. Let's go back to, to where we were. What's going on there? That place that you left your fire for God. He says, keep remembering from where you've fallen. And then he says, repent. That means to change our mind, to change our attitude. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say, God, I had such a desire, I wanted to read your word, and I had such a desire to pray, and I had such a desire to share the gospel, and I had such a desire for for serving you, and what's happened? He says, go back to where you were and repent. And then he says, return, do thy first works. Let's get back to our Bible reading. Not not just because we have to read it for a class, but because we honestly love God. And we look at it as, as his love letter to me personally. To memorize it and, and to meditate upon it. And want to model it in my life. Maybe it's time to return to your prayer, prayer closet. Maybe it's time to say, you know what, there's a lot of stuff going on. But I just need to get alone with God and, and I just need to start praying. I need to start talking to God. Maybe it's time to honestly worship God. Even in our singing. Maybe it's time to go back and say, who's the last person I told Christ? I told, told him about Christ. Where's my passion to, to see this person come to know Christ as their Savior? And we kind of return, maybe it's to that ministry. It's just that ministry. Think about that ministry that you just absolutely loved. I remember when I was in high school, I loved working in the bus ministry. It was just like, wow. And I came here to college, and I got busy with all of this stuff, and I remember one day, 
somebody preached on this passage of Scripture, and God just kind of poked my heart and said, Bob, you better get back doing that. And so I got back involved with it. It was like I, I had just kind of like grown cold to the things of God. I had all of the stuff to do, but I, I, I lost that passionate love for the Savior, which is most important for all. And so then he gives us some counsel. He says in verse 7, are you listening? Or are there so many things just screaming in our mind, are we really listening to him that overcometh? You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 that you're an overcomer. So don't become careless. Because overcoming the world is the experience that takes place in the life of the individual who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Overcoming the world is the experience that takes place in the life of the, the, the college student who lives his or her faith out. So, guys, listen. Don't let your academic study of the Bible become a substitute for your personal study of the Word of God. Don't don't just go to church because you have to. Go there because you, you love God. Develop some relationships outside your holy huddle. Of people who need Christ as their Savior. Grab that passion that God had in your heart and get back and, and just do that for God. And so let's just go back to the beginning of your salvation. And that passion you had for the Lord. And so, is it greater today? Or has it, has you, has it grown cold? Have we kind of walked away from our first love? Where are we at? God said to John, he said, I want you to write to this church at Ephesus and commend them. They work they're separated, they're pure, they endure, they're motivated, they're autonomous. But I want you to let them also know there's a condemnation. Your first love, you left. You just walked away. He said, so remember it, let's correct it, and repent, and let's get back. He said, so listen. Don't become careless. So I read through this text of Scripture, and I look at all of this, and i got to ask this question. So what? So what? What difference does this message, does this passage, the songs that we sang today, the music that we listened to, what difference does it make in our lives? What now am I going to do? Am I just going to be a hearer? Or am I going to be a doer? Remember, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. I think of what the songwriter said. Set my heart, O dear Father, on thee and thee only. 
Give me a thirst for thy presence divine. Lord, keep my focus on loving thee wholly. Purge me from earth, turn my heart after thine. A passion for thee. O Lord, set a fire in my soul and a thirst for my God. Hear thou my prayer. Lord, thy power impart, not just to serve, but to love thee with all of my heart. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us now to not just be hearers, but to be doers. You've given us a great school year. We have a wonderful student body. So many great things that we are commended. So Lord, help us to get alone with you and just ask ourselves that private question. Have I walked away from my first love? Give us that passion for you that we need so that we can do, as Dr. Anderson said earlier, finish well. In Christ's name, amen.